This is an adult education podcast of Lanier Technical College. If you are a lawful resident of the state of Georgia and are interested in more free lessons to improve your English or prepare for your high school equivalency diploma, such as the GED or HiSET, please visit our website, www.laniertech.edu. Click on Adult Education and follow the instructions. And now for our lesson. Hello, my name is Hallam Pope from Adult Education at Linear Technical College. Welcome to our podcast today. In today's lesson, we will look at some types of figurative phrases that authors use to express ideas in a text. By the end of this lesson, you will be able to explain and answer questions on what a simile is, what a metaphor is, and what personification means. You will also gain a better understanding of what euphemisms and epithets are. You'll understand why authors use this kind of language in their writing, how you can identify these phrases, and maybe even how to use this in your own writing. Now, why do we need to know what similes or metaphors are? Why study this kind of figurative language? Well, of course, understanding this kind of language will allow you to appreciate poetry and the works of Shakespeare and all the more flowery and creative literature out there. But poetry is not the only place you'll come across metaphors and personification, since authors of fiction, journalists, and non-fiction writers make use of figurative language all the time. In fact, writers of a newer genre of journalism, uh, creatively called new journalism, and a genre of non-fiction called creative non-fiction, will very often use similes, metaphors, and personification to report the news and current events or explain factual information. So, to appreciate and understand this writing, it's important to identify what techniques are being used and what the author means when he or she uses them. Plus, as usual, if you're studying for the GED reasoning through language arts exam, figurative language could be in the test, so you'll want to know this to make sure you don't miss any points. Okay. So, let's start with why anyone would go to the trouble of using figurative language like similes and metaphors, especially when they could just say what they mean in plain language. Well, number one, use of figurative language is an expression of creativity and can communicate to readers an author's life view, experiences, and feelings by making comparisons to common shared reference points. It is also used simply to describe objects, people, or situations. For example, say you're reading a romantic novel and the author uses the lines eyes like a spring sunset or eyes as blue as an opal cobalt ocean. Apart from thinking the author shouldn't quit their day job, you've most likely seen and experienced a sunset in your lifetime, and if you're like most people, probably considered it fairly striking or beautiful. The author is counting on this fact to communicate that these eyes they are talking about are just as beautiful as a sunset, using a reference that they're confident a reader will understand. Another reason figurative language is used is to imply or subtly make statements about something. Often this is done by selecting language that makes readers feel a certain way emotionally. We call these associated feelings the connotations of a word, and these are usually considered good, positive connotations, 
or the bad negative connotations. Compare the words careless and carefree. Careless has more of a negative connotation and describes someone who is clumsy, forgetful, or maybe inconsiderate. Carefree has a more positive connotation and suggests someone who is free, happy, and unstressed. But connotations can also be more specific than just positive or negative. What are the connotations of the word homemade? This might have the connotations of fresh, warm, traditional, hearty, family recipes, baking, creative, or perhaps even poorly made, unofficial, fragile, and the list goes on. The things we associate with words and the context and environments they are commonly used in affect the word's connotations, and authors can use this to their advantage. So, let's start defining some things. What is a simile? A simile is essentially a phrase that compares two things, using the words like or as, or more commonly the phrase pattern as blank as. Our phrases from the romantic novel, eyes like a spring sunset, and eyes as blue as an opal cobalt ocean, are examples of similes. Here we are directly comparing eyes with a sunset and an ocean. Note that figurative language is not taken literally. These eyes may not really be as blue as an ocean, which is pretty blue, and how blue is any blue anyway, but it does help the reader understand the true colour of these eyes with an extreme comparison. Metaphors are either a little more direct or a little less direct than similes, depending on how you think about it. Metaphors commonly take the form of statements, such as uh, love is breakfast in bed, or the internet is a vast sea of information. Again, figurative language is not literal. If we looked up love or the internet in a dictionary, we might consider throwing it out immediately if these were the definitions. But this kind of language makes us readers, or listeners, start to think of associations, other words, objects, emotions, experiences, memories, and movie scenes. And this helps us understand what the author is trying to say. When words or phrases make us conjure an image of something in our mind, we call this imagery, and metaphors are common ways of doing this. Next, we have personification, which is the treatment of inanimate, so non-living objects, or non-human animals, in a text as if they were people. Some great examples of this can be found with stories involving the gods of ancient Greece, such as Poseidon, the god of the sea. We may interpret the sentence, the sea was furious and crashed against the rocky outcrop surrounding the lighthouse. Authors write this way for similar reasons to why they use metaphors. It helps us to describe and paint a picture. Through personification, an author can treat non-human animals and objects as if they were characters in a story. Pixar movies like uh, Toy Story and Cars are good examples here. This makes the story more dramatic and interesting and helps readers connect with the objects and events by making them more relatable. 
In our example, the sea is described as furious, suggesting to readers that the sea is moving violently like a storm, and giving imagery of the sea having a bit of a temper tantrum. So, so far we've looked at similes, metaphors, and personification. We've also got euphemisms, which are also often very figurative. Euphemisms are words or phrases used as a more polite or acceptable way of saying something, considered rude or offensive. A classic example is the phrase, I'm going to powder my nose. Back in the day, this was considered a polite way to excuse yourself to go to the bathroom without being too descriptive about why, because let's be honest, who wants to know about that? Other similar euphemisms would be, I'm going to freshen up or I'm going to hit the john. In fact, you'll find a lot of euphemisms to describe impolite or what we call taboo subjects, things we don't talk about in polite or formal conversations. Other subjects that we might consider taboo are the often personal subjects of politics and religion, anything of a sexual nature, people's appearances, and even things like marital status. What's considered taboo will also vary with culture, and so you'll find all kinds of euphemisms that vary by culture and context. In every case, the general idea is that we use a word or phrase to allude to the impolite or taboo subject we want to talk about, while trying as best as possible not to offend. Finally, let's have a look at epithets. These are similar to euphemisms in a way, since they are words or phrases that can replace others, but epithets are used to replace names for people, animals, and objects. You can think of epithets as sorts of nicknames, and usually these names are quite well known. You'll see these often in historical texts, which talk about leaders such as kings and queens, or for famous or influential people. For example, the Macedonian king Alexander III, who not so many people will recognize, is more commonly known by the honorific title Alexander the Great, a name that most of us have at least heard of. Another is the title The King of Pop that many use to refer to Michael Jackson. Others you will likely know are Man's Best Friend, used to refer to dogs, The Big Apple for New York, or The Dog Days for the hottest days of summer. An interesting thing to mention is that other types of figurative language, such as metaphor and personification, can be used to form epithets. For instance, New York is also sometimes referred to as the city that never sleeps, which can be considered both a type of epithet and an example of personification. You may have also heard the United States referred to as the melting pot, due to the mix of ethnic, cultural, and national origins of the people living there. This is an example of a metaphor used as an epithet. So, as you can see, there are all sorts of reasons for using figurative language. Many authors will use language like metaphors and similes for poetic effect, to express themselves artistically or to make their writing more interesting. They may also use this language to describe things to audiences by referencing objects and situations that the audience will be familiar with. Personification can help audiences relate to an author, since people can apply what they know about human emotions and society 
or about themselves and other people to the objects, animals, and situations in a story. We use euphemisms to talk about taboo and impolite subjects in polite formal conversation, and sometimes for humour and insults too. Lastly, epithets are kinds of popular nicknames that describe an influential person, place, or thing by referring to their personality or features, or what they are known for. Epithets can be used to show respect by using a formal title, help explain why someone or something is important or relevant, or be used to express creativity just like the other forms of figurative language. Now that you have an overview of these five types of figurative language, let's move on to our practice session so that you can test your understanding. We'll begin with a question about the idea behind figurative language. So question one, which of these answers is the best explanation of why authors use figurative language? A. It is used to make audiences feel a certain way emotionally, and to make them think something is good or bad based on a word's connotations. B. It is used to talk about taboo or impolite subjects in a way that is more appropriate for polite formal conversation. C. It is used as an expression of creativity, to make writing more interesting and to communicate through shared reference points. And D. It is used as an extreme comparison of two things to form imagery and help readers imagine what a writer is trying to communicate. So, what do we think? Which answer best explains why we use figurative language? Well, truth be told, all of these answers describe why we might use it, but some answers better describe certain types of figurative language. Answer A, that it's used to make audiences feel a certain way emotionally, positively or negatively, by choosing certain words, is true in some cases, but figurative language does not have to be emotional at all. B. That it's used to talk about impolite subjects politely, better describes euphemisms specifically. And D. That it is used to generate imagery in audiences' minds is true too, but again, not always. So our answer here is C. It is used as an expression of creativity, to make writing more interesting and dramatic, and to communicate through shared reference points. This answer explains most of the reasons we would use any kind of figurative language in our writing. Now, these next few questions will not be multiple choice. Do your best to think up a short answer and see how well it matches to the answer we came up with. So, question two, what does the word connotation mean when we are talking about figurative language? Well, connotation refers to the abstract feelings or emotions that we may get when we read or hear a particular word. This can be because of which other words are related, the context of when or where it is usually used, or even our personal feelings. 
usually a connotation will fall somewhere between positive and negative. For example, the word confident describes someone who has a strong feeling that they have the skills to complete a task successfully, and this has a positive connotation. The word nonchalant has a similar meaning, but it's more neutral and could be a little negative. It could be used to describe confidence that results in a lack of effort or carelessness. Then we could describe confidence with more of a negative connotation by using the word arrogant, which describes someone who has too much confidence in their own abilities and importance. You could also compare words for laughter like cackle and chuckle. Cackle might be used when laughing unpleasantly at someone less fortunate and might make us think of like an evil villain's laugh. Chuckle is instead a quiet laughing sound, which you might make when you read something not quite hilarious, but just a little funny. So if you describe something like this, then you were on the right track with question two. On to the next. Question three, what is the major difference between a simile and a metaphor? Okay, so sometimes this is a little tricky to remember, but it's straightforward once you know the trick. Both similes and metaphors are used to make descriptive comparisons, but they differ in form. Similes will specifically use the words like and as to link the two things being compared. For example, Rihanna said shine bright like a diamond, and that's a simile. Similarly, if we say someone is as cool as a cucumber, that's also a simile. Metaphors are used more like regular descriptive adjectives. Instead of that concert was bad, we could say something like that concert was a dumpster fire, or I was at that dumpster fire concert last weekend. Okay, and back to some multiple choice questions. Question four. Which of these is an example of a euphemism? A. The greatest of all time isn't feeling too great. B. Nicholas is feeling under the weather. C. Unfortunately, Mr. Cage is as sick as a dog today. Or D. Nick, the weatherman, is a ray of sunshine. All right. As usual, let's break it down. A. The greatest of all time isn't feeling too great. What is the greatest of all time? Not a euphemism, it's an epithet, a nickname used in place of another name. Isn't feeling too great could be a euphemism, say if someone is suffering from a pretty serious injury and we heavily play it down, However, we need more context because this person could literally not feel great. C. What is the phrase as sick as a dog? Hopefully you've spotted that it was a simile, not a euphemism. And how about D. The weatherman is a ray of sunshine. Well again, the weatherman is an epithet and the phrase makes use of a metaphor. We can assume the weatherman is not a literal ray of sunshine. He's not actually walking on sunshine, and instead he's just a friendly guy. So our answer here is B, 
Nicholas is feeling under the weather. Feeling under the weather is, of course, a common euphemism for feeling sick or ill, and spares us all the graphic details of Nicholas's unfortunate situation. Alright, and we've got time for one more here, and we'll keep it short and simple. Question 5. Which of these answers describes the types of figurative language used in the passage? The little fly whispered in my ear as it rubbed its hands together like a thief hatching a plan. The little fly whispered in my ear as it rubbed its hands together like a thief hatching a plan. A. Personification and simile. B. Metaphor and personification. C. Simile and euphemism. Or D. Euphemism and metaphor. Okay, so let's split this sentence in two here. The first phrase, the fly whispered in my ear, what is that an example of? Well, of course, flies, as far as we know, don't whisper. That's more of a human thing. So this is an example of personification. That means our options are A, personification and simile, or B, metaphor and personification. Looking at the second phrase, as it rubbed its hands together like a thief hatching a plan, is that a simile or a metaphor? How can we tell? Again, look for those keywords like or as. Here, rubbed its hands together like a thief, da 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 da, uses the word like to form a simile. So, our answer is A, personification and simile. I hope you were able to get most of those, and if not, hopefully the explanations help you understand a little better. And with that, we're coming to the end of today's podcast. For a brief summary, remember that authors use figurative language for a number of reasons, mostly as an expression of their creativity, to make texts more interesting, poetic, and descriptive, and to better describe people, objects, and settings by using common references that readers and audiences will understand. Two related forms of figurative language are similes and metaphors, which are both used to make descriptive comparisons. Metaphors take a more direct form, usually an expression like X is Y. Similes instead use like and as to compare the two things. We can have the simile, the child was as good as gold, and the metaphor, she was the golden child. These are used to make descriptions more interesting, create imagery in readers' minds, make readers feel a certain way, or to make comparisons with objects and experiences readers will be familiar with. Then we have personification, the assigning of human characteristics to non-human animals, objects, or entities, like our weather example. Authors often use personification to make non-human elements more relatable to audiences and to set the emotional tone or mood of a story. Again, readers are almost always very familiar with the human world and understand human experiences, emotions, and actions, 
And so applying these ideas to non-humans in a story can help readers connect and engage their imagination. Finally, we have euphemisms and epithets. Euphemisms are figurative phrases used to talk about impolite or taboo subjects. These are used in polite conversation when talking about the subject more literally would be considered rude or used for humour when making jokes. Epithets are phrases that are used as well-known titles or nicknames often used in place of a name. These are used to honour the person or thing that they name or simply as titles that describe the most well-known characteristic of the person or place. And that's all for today. My name is Hallam Pope. Thank you for listening to another Lanier Technical College podcast. And until next time, goodbye. This concludes the lesson. Please make a note of the time, complete your log sheet, and turn your log in to your instructor at the end of the week. Then complete the follow-up activities assigned by your instructor or in your course module. This podcast has been a production of Lanier Technical College Adult Education.